Tom Saylor, and this is Pretty Good for a Girl. Girls who hold their liquor and girls who will arm wrestle you in a rainstorm with a lollipop. Oh! <laughs> That's right, and tonight we will be featuring another badass babe. This time, a badass bourbon babe. Peggy No Stevens. Woo woo! Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Getting by. It's all taken and no giving. They just use your indeed a badass. If you don't know who she is, Peggy No Stevens is a master bourbon taster, public speaker, author, and a brand strategist. And she has created possibly one of the most important organizations for women in American whiskey. Before we get into our discussion, what is everyone drinking tonight? Sailor? Well, if you know anything about Miss Peggy No Stevens, you know that one of her favorite cocktails is a Manhattan. So in her honor tonight, I am drinking a Manhattan. Ooh. Mm -hmm. I am actually drinking a black Manhattan. A, I should say, I'm drinking a perfect black Manhattan. Nice. So that's a whole lot of stuff. Kayla's over there smiling. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> so um, a perfect Manhattan means that you're using both dry and sweet vermouth. And the black comes from using an Amari, which is an Italian bitter liqueur. And I am using Chinar or Sinar, depending on if you know how to pronounce it properly. Um, and um, it is distilled from artichoke, and it is phenomenal. That's my favorite Amari to put in Black Manhattans. So you love your Amari. I do. I've, I'm obsessed with it. And um, I wrote an article on it some time ago. And, uh, yeah, I love talking about Amari. As you should. So what about you guys? Jenny? I am drinking, um, well, I was uh, reading about Miss Peggy New Stevens, and um, in an interview she said that her first love was Old Forester, and it didn't specify which. So I just went with uh, Old Forester Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey. It's 100 proof, and it is yummy. It's great. Straight, um, drinking it on the rocks. Right. Delicious. One of my mm -hmm. favorite expressions. It is really good. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. How about you, Carolyn? So, I am a major wild turkey fan. Hell yeah, um, girl. Give them the bird. <laughs> I love, I love everything wild turkey. <laughs> yep. Uh, tonight, I'm going a little more specific into wild turkey. I'm drinking a Russell's Deserve from 2002. Ooh. Uh, you know, friend. Yeah, very delicious, very hot, but very delicious. Yum. What what is um so 2002? I think the oldest Russells I've ever had is probably a 2007. Um, do you so? And I've had probably all the rest since. Um, <clears throat> do you notice any major differences? Because that's that's going to be a different time altogether in bourbon. Um, I know, right? Yeah, so what what do you feel like is different or unique about that being so much older? Um, honestly it 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 gets a lot hotter the longer it sits. Mm. So it's a little harder to drink than any Russells I've had. The only other Russells I've had have been the society picks that, that my Kansas City Society has done. Okay. Um so this was sent to me by a friend. This is the second time I've had the two thousand two um but it, it's honestly a little difficult to just sit and sip on because it is so hot. And I don't know if that's typical of other older 
uh, bourbons that sit for a while, but it's definitely typical of this one. Like spicy hot? Yes, like spicy, spicy hot. Spicy hot, yeah. Right Have you added a little bit of water to it to get it to open up and get the those oil beads to disperse a little bit? never have, but maybe I will with this one since this is my second sample of the O2. I think this would be a great example of what happens. I just kind of helped dispel an argument on Twitter about um, it's the wrong way to drink whiskey. And this is coming from Scotch people. And, you know, I always say, like, drink it however the hell you like it. Um, But the water, it adds an extra element. And you will see master tasters use this method often, especially as their palates start to get more exhausted because you're going to get some of that flavor to come to the top and the ethanols to push out. So I bet if you add, like, a tablespoon of water in there, um, just like get us make a smaller dram of it in a larger glass also you're drinking from a glen cairn try a rocks glass oh. try a larger remember we talked about this about um it's it's been we we're kind of starting to learn that women have a difficult time drinking out of glen cairns with certain proofs because we're so sensitive we smell so much better than men do for lack of a better scientific explanation um (laughs) there is and it's this is not anything disparaging to men it's literally science it's out there and it has a lot to do with we are the ones that are the birth givers um so in a in a glass with a wider mouth and adding about a tablespoon of water, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. But yeah. how how many years is that one aged? That I don't know. I I only know it's from two thousand two. So because I'm imagining you've got some nineteen nineties bourbon in there. So ni- some nineteen Probably. that's some nineteen nineties, huh? Wild turkey. Ooh. I'm going to have to do a little research on that pup because you're drinking, you're drinking something pretty special right now. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> well, Kayla, I'm assuming you're drinking your cocktail or am I wrong? I am. No, I am. <laughs> um, so my cocktail, are you guys ready for this? I, I'm i really ready. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, it's, of course, inspired by uh, Miss Peggy No Stevens. Um, so I was reading about the same thing that, basically, probably the same thing that Sailor was reading about her loving her Manhattan. Um, so the last thing I read is that she was in search for the perfect Manhattan. Um, so I wanted to make that, but I also wanted to kind of um, play up some of the other notes that she talked about in the article, make it a little bit more personal to her. Uh, she apparently, when she was a young girl, she had a poster of Rocky Balboa, <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, the Italian Stallion. Adrian! Adrian! <laughs> I almost named the cocktail Adrian because I was like, oh, she's a girl. Yeah. Like, so good. Uh, I, I tried it because, uh, both because her family has an Italian heritage. And because she is an absolute champ, she is the real Italian stallion. Yes. So this she is. This is this is called the Italian Italian stallion, and it is a Manhattan made with two ounces of Little Book, uh, which I know Ooh. for some people is a sin to uh, make into a cocktail, but we're doing it anyway. Whatever. We're mixologists. <laughs> Screw that. Yep. It's delicious. Um, and then I actually did two different types of. Uh, one is kind of a vermouth, and one is definitely a vermouth. Uh, a half ounce of Carpano Antica, which is an Italian sweet vermouth, with these really beautiful kind of like orange undertones, like burnt orange, and um, a little bit of vanilla notes to it. It's really delicious. Um, and then um, Capoletti, which I have like fallen in and out of love with Capoletti, but it's the same family making it, and it has a little more of that like uh, bitter aspect to it. To me, when I tra- when I taste Capoletti, it's like somewhere between an Amaro and a Vermouth, even mm-hmm. though I suppose it's technically an Amaro. Um, but either way, so a half ounce of that, a half ounce of the Carpano Antica, then, um, like I said, two ounces of Little Book. And then um, what you're going to do is when you zest the orange over the cocktail, put a little flame in front of that orange. Ooh. So um, for our listeners... 
Um, when I'm when I'm talking about zesting, uh, you basically get the peel of an orange. Try to get as little of the pith as you can. If you get like a potato peeler or what they call them Y peelers, you can get all of that zest. There's a ton of oil packed into the outside skin on that um, citrus. So what you're going to do is face the colorful side towards your drink and the pith side, the white side, towards yourself. And you're going to pinch it and you just pinch it right in front of the flame. And you get this wonderful kind of burnt orange. I kind of actually heat up the orange zest itself, the, the peel, and it brings all the oil to the surface of the peel. And you'll get a great kind of flame right in front of your drink. Please do not set yourself on fire. <laughs> Keep it away from eyebrows and eyelashes. Yeah. Pull your hair back if you have long hair. Yeah, yeah. Trust if me. You do, um, I do not want to hear of any lawsuits. Just, you shouldn't set yourself on fire. Okay? I'll do that. Um, but you're going to take all those ingredients, stir them down, and then when you're when you're finally done stirring it, please serve it up. You do not have to serve it up, but once you've stirred it to the perfect um, dilution level, which if you've got some crappy ice, which most of us in our homes don't have the best kind of ice, let's be honest, uh, you'll just kind of stir it down uh, shortly. You don't want to stir it too long, but you want to bring everything together. And that water dilution, everything is going to make it so that um, all the flavors are kind of coming together as one. We should explain um, so what, what, what good and crappy ice is because I've been I asked this know. a lot. Um, and it's very yeah. easy for people at home to make good ice with two different yeah. methods because now they sell wonderful ice trays that will make you clear ice. Yeah. Um, well, this is the way I think of good ice. First of all, like you want to use something purified that you want to use. You don't, don't like use city water. Um, you want to use something that's going to not detract from the drink or add any kind of sulfates or anything. Or even any extra mineral flavors, really. Exactly. Unless that's what you want. want Yeah, 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 unless that's what you want. But typically you're looking for the same. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Usually distilled water, I think, Baylor. Grab some distilled water from the... Yeah, you can do that. I, use, I typically use distilled water to make, because I have the large ice cubes as well, for when mm-hmm. I just want to chill my whiskey a little bit, but not dilute it with an ice cube. And so it's yeah. that easy. Take distilled water, you know, 99 cents, whatever it is from Walmart or who cares, and pour it in your ice trays. And it's going to, you're going to notice that it's a clear cube. If you take your tap water, your well water, your city water, it's going to be cloudy. And so yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that, but they make ice trays now that actually let the sediment fall to the bottom and trap that underneath it. And that helps you make clear ice as well. Do it either so, way. When you're looking at like really good ice, the less surface area you have, the better. Because the more surface area you have, uh, ice melts from the outside in. So if you have lots of surface area, it's going to dilute your drink very, very quickly and not give it a lot of time on the ice to actually chill the drink. So if you've got ice with a lot with very little surface area, like a sphere or very large cubes, you can stir it for a long time on that ice and get it really nice and chill without having to dilute it and make it super watery. Um, so now, is there you, really something to those like whiskey balls, the ice balls? Absolutely, ball? absolutely. Now okay. clear ice, I would say. Uh, is somewhat just kind of like, it's, it's wonderful because it's beautiful and you can see straight through it. So it's very aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when you ha- use like super pure water, you'll still sometimes get bubbles, mm-hmm. but that's not the sediment she w- that Sailor was talking to us about. That's actually just because ice will melt from the top down. And so it's pushing all of the air bubbles down as it freezes. So eventually once the whole, um, container or, or a portion of water is frozen, all of those bubbles have to freeze somewhere in that mix, and they usually will crystallize and form at the bottom. So you can do a process, which is something that probably Sailor and I will talk about on our future upcoming podcast, Level yes. on the Rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a process called directional freezing, and that's when you get absolutely, like, completely see-through ice. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get air bubbles trapped in your ice, don't assume that like it's a poor quality water. Right. Because uh, you'll if you're using like the kind of water that Sailor was describing, you'll still get a really beautiful um, cube or sphere, whatever kind of mold you're using, 
And then, like she said, also, there are some molds that do the directional freezing for you and will remove all the bubbles altogether. So that's all, you know, if you're at home and you've got some uh, distilled water or even like a Brita filter and you mm -hmm. run it through the Brita filter a couple times, you can create some really big, nice sized cubes and just stir on that. The smaller the cubes, the kind of uh, less time you get for your drink to chill before it's super watered down. Yeah, it dilutes. So that's, that's, that's the difference between shitty ice and good ice. And your Bruda filter is just using charcoal filtration, just yeah, like right. Tennessee whiskey. So little, <laughs> little tip for those vodka drinkers out there, which I am not. If you like to drink vodka and you want to save money because I wouldn't spend more than $5 on vodka, <laughs> you can take the crappiest bottle you have and put pour it into your Brita filter. Run it through there five or six times and guess what? Boom, you've got high-end vodka. You just filtered it. <gasps> That's it. Oh, stop oh spending God. your stop spending your fucking money on all these ridiculous bullshit. I'm not going to name brands expensive they're vodkas all they're all bullshit just take it and run it through a fucking brita pitcher five or six or seven times because vodka loves to say it's been distilled seven freaking times yeah, yeah. 13 times oh they're i know so oh, god. oh god yeah so you're just filtering out all the flavor so here you go so you can also just take rubbing alcohol and dilute it and put it <laughs> into your cosmopolitan as well will work the same way <laughs> <laughs> I am not I am not a doctor. I only play one on podcast. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear anybody contacting me with hate mail about drinking rubbing alcohol, <laughs> please. Or or lawsuits. Yeah. <laughs> Another opportunity not to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No setting yourself on fire. Yeah. Please don't drink rubbing alcohol. <laughs> so Kayla, one of the um one of the debates that I've seen recently and as a matter of fact, I'm going to have to send you a link to this article. I meant it to send to you, send it to you and I forgot. Imbibe, I believe it was Imbibe magazine, <laughs> wrote an article called like the rules of cocktails or some bullshit. And oh. that just set me off right there. I was like, the rules? How dare you? Like, way to alienate people right off the bat in your stupid fucking article. Um and then it went on to talk about how to make, you know, the right Manhattans. And that's kind of how they were focusing the whole article. And they got so many things wrong in it. It wasn't even funny. If you're trying to say the rules, do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. one of the things they said is you never, ever, ever, ever shake a Manhattan. And I disagree with that. For me, and I see this is a bartender preference. And I learned that very early on in my career, that some of these things where people say, you know, an old fashioned never gets a cherry or an old fashioned never gets an orange, you're going to or it never goes on the rocks. It's always neat. You're going to find that it's really the creator's preference as long as they can explain to you why they chose to present it that way or make it that way. Honestly, so that's one of the things, sorry to interject. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about cocktails the most is that. As long as you are following the basis for the cocktail, some interpretation and some experimentation is what makes it fun. Like Absolutely. I, I really like, like old fashioned is my favorite cocktail. Do I make it exactly how they made it back then? Hell no. I have my own variation all the time. Well, unless you're drinking brandy, you're literally not drinking it like the original old fashioned anyway. It wasn't even originally a whiskey drink. I mean, it's cool. It's super cool to look back. I mean, I specialize in, in vintage cocktails and pre-prohibition cocktails because I just don't think we were really making true cocktails after prohibition, in my opinion. Um, I think most people no, would agree. No, we were making mixed drinks after that. Um, <laughs> again, this is my impression and my preference. But um, so for me, my Manhattans, I will absolutely shake them, but only with the large, I use those large cubes and I use clear ice in them. Um, and what I do is I will, um, I will shake it dry first. And that means without any ice, because I really like to have the incorporation of the vermouth, um, to be really well incorporated. And I find that, most at-home bartenders are not going to stir it as long as a 
professional bartender would typically. And so they'll say to me, well, it just didn't taste the same. And really, that's your emulsion factor. So I feel like you get quicker emulsion if you just shake it, you shake it without the ice, you put all of your liquid ingredients in there. And then um, I'll add a cube to it, and then I'll stir. That's how I make them. And that's how I've always made them. Um, I also... If I'm not making a perfect Manhattan, I line the glass with vermouth as opposed to putting it in the cocktail. So I do a lining, which just simply means you take your measured amount and you turn your glass on its side that you're going to put your cocktail in and you just spin it while you're pouring your jigger or measuring tool into it and it will just coat the whole inside of the glass. And so you just keep spinning it, making sure it's clinging and it's coating and then you should not have much any to dump out maybe a drop or two so i'll just put it upside down real quick and then i'll pour my cocktail into it that's another variation that i like to do yeah what are your thoughts kayla um yeah i i completely agree with you there's a a million different ways to skin a cat i think that everybody uh has developed different techniques and um if you make me a drink that i enjoy in an experience and an environment that I'm already enjoying, then the memory, the nostalgia, that's all wonderful. Um, for me, I stir anything. If it has, this is, and this is like you said, uh, when it comes to rules for spirits, um, anything that has juice, I will shake because I want to aerate it and I want to put bubbles into it. I want it to be effervescent on my mouth. Um, anything that's like spirit forward or like has like a, a just like spirit and syrup. I usually stir, not because it's like a hardened rule for me, but because I like the weight of that. Like I like a velvety, silk, silky kind of mouth weight. And when you pump the air bubbles into it, it makes it just slightly more effervescent to me, um, which I, I don't see as being necessarily a bad thing. That's just, uh, you know, when I'm especially with like my spirit forward cocktails, I love like like bitter cocktails, like Negronis and Boulevardiers. I love all my spirit forward cocktails to be very like rich and velvety and silky. Um, but like, I also have a, a cocktail I put on a menu before that had, that I stirred that had juice in it. So, um, I say this sometimes, uh, but GK Chesterton says that his favorite part of every painting was the frame, not because <laughs> The, the frame was like the, like so beautiful or whatever, but basically because in any painting, you could have any, like you could create any universe, any world, but you always had that edge to live by. You always came to the edge. So he treated limitation as a form of new creativity. That's the way he was looking at it. Like you can create even more when you invite yourself all of these like limitations. But if you live by those rules, then you're kind of forced into a box, um, which is why Picasso he was a killer abstract painter, like that we all know that stuff, but we also don't pay attention to the fact that he made amazing classical realist pieces. Oh, yeah. He was a fine artist long before. Yeah. I'm not into abstract art. And when I went to the Picasso Museum in Barcelona, I was like, wait, what? He was actually yeah. an illustrator and a fine artist and yeah. did classical painting. I was like, oh, my God, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, he can do classical realism all day. Yeah. But, like, that's what makes the rules okay, like. As long as you know that the rules can be broken, you have to respect the rules, understand them, know your history, know your shit. But then once you know that stuff, then you know how and why we break the rules. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you know, shake whatever you want. (laughs) Stir whatever you want. Like, make a good cocktail. Make good flavors. But just, like, honor and know your history. Know why you're doing it or why certain uh, techniques became what they were. So that's what I think about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Kayla. Yeah. I'm so I'm I'm going to make that cocktail tonight actually. It sounds Good. delicious. Let me know what you yeah. want. I will, I will. Um real quick, just to circle back to what Carolyn is drinking. Um so I had I thought this would probably be a 12-year bourbon. And since it's released in 2002, it's not. It's a 15-year bourbon. So that means the juice inside of it was put in that barrel to sleep in 1987, my friend. That's my birthday. So 1987, other than being an amazing year because Kayla was born, um, (laughs) 
is a very interesting time in bourbon. Um, you're you're gonna you're absolutely gonna taste something completely different. Um, so these barrels were aged in an offsite. Um, it was Camp Nelson Rickhouses. Um, and so that is not one of, well, it was not one of, uh, Jimmy's favorite places. Um, we know that rare breed and, um, a few other expressions come from his favorite. Um, he's got a couple favorites up on the hill. Um, and the corn is going to taste very different. Um, they were not owned by the Campari group at the time. I, I would imagine the barrels are going to be vastly different. You're, that's just going to be an altogether really, really different juice. It's also the first non-chill uh, filtered barrel proof bourbon the wild turkey ever released. Um, and that's Eddie oh. kind of pushing um, a bit of creativity. And he still is considered the new guy, although... He's been yeah. making bourbon with a wild turkey for what thirty years now, or something. Yeah. <laughs> something That's ridiculous. Only just got his signature on the bottle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, I I would love to taste that. Um, it's so from some of the reviews. I'm just quick, quick glancing some of the reviews. Um, you know, it's a lot of people are saying you're getting you know the typical. Um, notes from really fine wild turkeys, you know, the tobacco and the spice and the cigar box and all of that. And then the sweet caramel and honey in the finish. Um, but the uniqueness, of course, um, comes from the age of it and when it went into the barrel, certainly. Um, it's also, there was not much of that produced, by the way. Um, I, yeah, I, it's, I would be really interested once you put a little bit of water in that pup and in a larger glass, maybe even leave like half a dram in a glass overnight and let it really, really, really air out. Just, just, you know, just a little, little bit so you can get all the bottom notes with none of the ethanols in it would be not, not none, but most of them not appearing on the surface would be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, would be really, really interesting. Um, and there's a 13% rye in there, too. So. And Twilight is so much. Yes. Yeah, so that's. What about, what about it gives it that kick? So it's a barrel proof. So it was not cut. So to lower the proof, which is the alcohol content, basically, um, when it comes out of the barrel, it's cut with water. Typically, and it can be cut before or after it goes into barrel, depending on the maker. Um, and, and that would be a point of contention for a lot of distillers um, when you would cut that. So um, the does it say what the ABV is on that, Carolyn, on your sample? No. no? I, mean, I mean, literally, it's just RR2000. Oh, wow. Oh, so it it should be 114.6. So that is a very hot bourbon. So just like with with Booker's, Booker's says put it on ice. And there's a reason that they say that. Um, In something like this, for me personally, I would not drink it neat because I think I'd be missing out on – I think that heat is going to numb my palate too much. And I'm going to miss out on a lot of the layers of flavor. Just like if you have a cake with 20 layers and you have, you know, a thick thing of icing on top, that icing is going to dominate all the layers. And that's what the heat is going to do at that point. So – I would absolutely add a little water to it and maybe I would chill it a bit too, even if you chill your glass and put it in there. But to me, I would drink that sucker out of a bowl or like the biggest <laughs> red wine glass I had to, yeah. Did, did it, do you notice a difference when you changed your cup? Yeah. 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 Awesome. That, that way it's not channeling all of that directly into your face in like a, a, a right. small space. Right. Exactly. So the MSRP on this pup um, should be about two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, so yeah, so um, that seems inexpensive to me for uh, something like this. Oh yeah, this this would be very special indeed. So enjoy that and think of me while you drink it. It was very. I am. Yeah, yeah. I am. All right. Well. Let's get into tonight's topic. 
All right, so as Kayla already said, and I'm just going to reiterate here, in case you went to go pee or grab a burger and didn't press the pause button, the amazing Peggy No Stevens is a master bourbon taster and a brand strategist. What is a Mastin Burr 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 Burr? I don't know what a Master Burr is, but a Master Bourbon Taster? Well, we that's another show we'll talk about masturbating. So <laughs> um, so there are really two specific roles um, that we're gonna discuss tonight just because of our subject. There are much there are many more roles in being a master taster, but we're just gonna focus on two. So one is you can be a master taster for a brand or distiller. In this role, you are expected to recognize all of the nuances of probably all of the expressions for that brand. You will most likely be tasting through the many steps of distillation as well. You might check the new make coming off the still. You should be able to identify the precise proofs coming out of the barrel, as well as detect any defects and check for consistency before bottling. Most, it's a lot, it's, it's serious shit. Um, most likely these days you will have a degree in chemical engineering and you're barred from smoking. You can't wear perfume or cologne when you're working, and you're probably really careful about what you eat. Um, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but many master tasters completely refrain from eating very spicy food or over acidic food. They may only do that when they know they'll be tasting, or they may just do that in general. Uh, I know. I need to be honest, when I know that I want to try some new sample that someone sent me, I definitely avoid crazy food because I want to be able to get all the different notes on my palate. Absolutely. When I worked um, at Indian Creek Distillery in Southern Ohio, I was responsible for, along with several other people, um, tasting um, our juice and recognizing if it was ready to come out of the barrel. And um, I completely cut out spicy food, all spicy food. I completely cut out. I wouldn't touch vinegar. I didn't. I was really careful with citrus because um, I was so nervous about the responsibility of uh, giving my opinion on something like that. There are more than 200 flavor chemicals in bourbon. So you must be able to distinguish all of them if you are a master taster. Um, you'll also get very used to saline rinses. Yummy. And I can tell you from experience. Wow. What the fuck is a saline rinse? Like, is there something you put in your contact lenses? No. No, that's a different type of saline. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, you can, you can buy saline, um, from, uh, like pharmacies, things like that, pharmacy section. You'll see, like, giant bottles of it that don't oh, like say. Oh, Oh, okay. Similar, yeah. They have saline, they have saline for, for drinking. It's all, yeah, but it's distilled, it's distilled water and all of that. Okay. So you'll rinse your mouth with saline in specific ways for specific periods of time. Like I would do a 15 minute timer. Um, I would gargle, I would gargle with it. I would just hold it in my mouth. Um, and, uh, you know, drink, spit, drink, spit. And, um, that kind of brings your palate back so you can taste again. So the other type of master taster, um, is you can be a master taster for the industry. This means you'll most likely be invited to panel tastings and discussions. You'll be tasting for the purpose of reviewing and or choosing uh-huh. spirits to win awards, like for the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. You may write about bourbon and explain what certain releases taste like, and in your educated opinion, if it's worth purchasing or if it's particularly special. Now, many of you may have already correlated this to wine, Um, which would be correct. You've heard people say, oh, 2007 was a particularly good year for this Cabernet. And then you'll hear, well, that's because there was less rain that year and the temperatures Mm -hmm. were blah, 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 and the winds came from the south and la, la, la. That's not the reason behind the taste, but that is the science behind why the wine tastes like it does. So really, that's coming from people being able to taste the nuances, the differences, and then articulate those nuances and extra flavors to the masses, which is not an easy feat to do. Um, when I first started doing whiskey, holding whiskey tastings, uh, <laughs> being able to articulate and translate what I'm tasting, what they should be tasting, what the brand 
says that they want them to be tasting, etc. It's very, very difficult to do. Um, and to be able to find 200 flavors in a bourbon, to be able to notice a slight nuance between one batch to another, really takes an understanding of science and an understanding of how that science translates to a flavor. Now, it would be really easy for us to go down the rabbit hole of tasting and how proof factors in and how distillation processes factor in, barrel aging, even your gender, as we mentioned before. We won't do that tonight. We've already gone down the freaking, what did we go down a rabbit hole on shaking and ice already (laughs) for however long. Um, You'll have to listen to our companion podcast, Love on the Rocks, which will be uh, coming out soon. And we will go much more in depth on this subject, Kayla and I. Um, All right, let's circle back. We've explained to you a bit about what a master taster is. Now let's talk about a badass woman that is someone I greatly admire and has done and is doing so much for women in the realms of the spirits world and, most importantly, the whiskey world. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Peggy No Stevens became the world's first female master bourbon taster and eventually founded Bourbon Women, an organization that educates women about making and drinking bourbon. Now, we're not talking about 1970 here. We're talking about the 90s. Yeah. And she was the first yeah. female master bourbon taster, and she didn't even know it at the time. I was going to say she didn't even believe it. She's like, oh, I am? Yeah, <laughs> okay. she was – I mean, I, I would have been mind blown as well. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, here she was. She's the first female master bourbon taster in the 90s, and she said, I remember being struck by two things. I really wanted to be a master taster and teach people and travel around the world and conduct tastings. But the other thing that struck me was, you've got to be kidding me. There's no one else. Mm -hmm. If I was really to think about the inspiration behind the organization Bourbon Women, it's from when I was doing tastings as a master taster. I used to go and travel literally around the world, and in those audiences, it was always predominantly male. There would be a trickle of women, but the women wouldn't necessarily ask questions. They would come up to me after, though, the tasting was over. And I thought to myself, we need to change this. They were as passionate as anyone I had ever given a tasting to. That's direct from Peggy now. I can still concur with that. Um, I used to do demographics of the tastings that I conducted. And if you are hired by a company to do tastings, um, I was responsible when I moved back to New England for the um, portfolio Will and Grant and Sons. And they ask you very specific questions. How many men, how many women attended the tastings? It was always maybe, you know, 30 men, four women. Yeah. And if it was typically 30 men, 10 women, they were the spouses or the partners of the men. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But they were interested in it. Even if they yeah. didn't enjoy drinking it, they were interested. So I totally understand what she's talking about. And we're not all the way there yet, of course. But another thing that I want to mention about Peggy No Stevens is she is part of what we like to call bourbon royalty. She grew up in Kentucky and is the cousin of historic Jim Beam distillers, Booker and Fred No. If you do not know the nose, as we say, <laughs> N-O-E, you must get to know them. Uh, do yeah. the Googles, uh, Jim Beam distillers. You can do it that way, or you can just Google Booker No, Fred No. And um, we have we who drink American whiskey uh, feel that they are rock stars, uh, legendary rock stars that are responsible really for what we are drinking and the the fact that we are even able to be drinking American whiskey today. I think all these ladies would agree. So she recognized that the bourbon industry and frankly, the whiskey industry worldwide were not marketing or talking to women. She said women are very passionate about the product and they're very curious and want to know. So she decided to start her own company about 10 years ago. She said, I decided to do some focus groups throughout the state of Kentucky to find out what women want out of bourbon and spirits. What did they want to know? And then in 2001, she founded Bourbon Women, the first women's consumer organization in the beverage industry. To explain further, BW is a nonprofit organization that acts as a bridge between the bourbon industry and female enthusiasts, a channel for education and a research network. Now, 
She represented many, many distilleries, bourbon distilleries in Kentucky, and helped them guide their marketing for larger audiences. And when we say larger audiences, we are saying with the inclusion of women. So if you've been on a tour in bourbon country and you've been to a distillery and you've had a nice experience in their visitor center, you probably have Peggy No Stevens to thank for that, actually. Um, it's quite amazing how many distilleries she or her company helped to create or consulted on to make the experience more user-friendly for all genders. Um, and Woodford Reserve being one of them. She worked for Woodford for a long time. So I think it was last year, there was a bourbon women event called He Sips slash She Sips. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah. Love this. Um, it featured a blind tasting for men and women, and the results were incredibly telling. She said about this, hands down, women chose the spicier, higher proof, and more robust brands. She goes on to say, but for some reason, when brands try to create a product just for women, it's always lower proof, lighter, and sweeter. And that misses right. the mark. Mm-hmm. Not only does it miss the mark, but I don't need a fucking pink bottle. I don't need yeah. you to call... You know, Johnny Walker, Jane Walker, yes, yeah, or oh Jane Walker. Oh my gosh, that was everyone in Jane Walker. The backlash from Jane Walker. I've never heard of it again. Is it still out there? No, I think it's gone. But I fucking I hope so. We need to verify I that. that. I feel like I saw it at my oh. place around here, but I live in Florida. It's like the leftover. Oh yeah. Um, it's probably left over because nobody yeah. bought it. They started. It. Terrible. Let's I see. I discontinued it. Can we, um, <laughs> so, um, it's funny if you Google it, the first things that come, that come up are articles talking about what a shit show it was. Um, mm-hmm. so one article, the problem with Johnny Walker's Jane Walker scotch was perception. Yeah. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody needs you to, dr- by the way, it, for the people that don't know, we're talking about an expression that came out, um, uh, I think it was two years ago. Johnny Walker is a scotch brand. Um, not yeah. a very good Scotch brand, but that's my opinion. Um, and they, so certain brands are starting to understand, thank you, Peggy, that they need to start marketing more towards women. Now, there's a few different ways they've been doing that. They may have celebrities that are females in their commercials and being brand ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Um, and some companies are trying to make specific whiskey for women. Why the fuck you need to make something different, I don't know. But if you're going to make um, a Johnny Walker for women, just make it better. So what Johnny Walker decided to do was bottle the same fucking juice, slap a lady on it, and call it Jane Walker. And they thought more women were going to buy it. Did they? Was it good? It was just regular no. Johnny Walker. It's the just Johnny Walker. That's ridiculous. Which is already just okay. It's just just yogurt at Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a, it was such a fart in a church. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it did not go over well. Let me tell you. It was a terrible misstep, and that's like what happens when you don't invite a woman to the table to have the conversation. Uh, Because I'm sure that they were all like, "This sounds great. Like women would love this." Yeah, but what they don't know is that, like, we're not buying things because they're pink and pretty. We buy it because we like it or for whatever reason. Like, <laughs> don't see the, the bourbon community. Like, they don't, don't slap every girl in, in the freaking face. That's ridiculous. Well, and then there's other, I'm not going to name, there's another whiskey out there that I'm not going to name because a dear <laughs> brand of mine reps them. So I won't name them. Uh, but... They advertise themselves themselves as a feminine whiskey, as a, a whiskey for women. Um, and they, they try to say it's a gateway whiskey. Oh, what really makes it a feminine whiskey for them? Um, to them, they mm-hmm. made a shitty product and needed to figure out a way to advertise it and sell their shitty product. Mm-hmm. And so they made a weak whiskey. It tastes like um, old cigarettes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and basically, you know, made this really low quality product and it's not super potent. So mm. they decided, Hey, this is a good gateway whiskey for women, uh, who, who don't know their stuff. Um, well, you know what, uh, is a really great gateway to whiskey. Good whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Hot, good quality whiskey yeah. is a great gateway 
to get into the whiskey world. And it doesn't have to be like, uh, you know, over a hundred proof to be great, mm-hmm. but it needs to be quality. It needs to not taste like old cigarettes. And so, yeah, that, that makes me really sad that, um, that they did that because they just, they don't understand like what I love, what you were talking with, uh, Peggy, no Stevens, that she said, um, uh, typically when women were doing the tastings, by and large, they were reaching for the spicier, more nuanced flavors, mm-hmm. like big flavor. Absolutely. So it's yeah. just a bummer when, like I said, when you don't invite a woman to the table, this is this is what you get. You miss out, out on a huge marketing ex- uh, experience. Yep. And there's money there. There's revenue for you there. Well, yeah. I mean, it's there. So. There's so, so, there are so many reasons why I was so offended personally by Jane Walker and I was offended for my industry. One of the first things, Elizabeth Walker was the wife of the founder, John Walker. Okay. Mm-hmm. At least call it Elizabeth fucking Walker. Yeah. She was a driving force in the business. She wasn't just arm candy, okay? She was a whiskey woman. Call it Elizabeth Walker. That would have been cool. Then, yes. How? Because honestly, Jane is the name they give to... Dead women. Exactly. That was, and that was a huge comment at the time. So what? It's, so what? You can't, you can't define what women really want to drink. So you just named it Jane Walker. Yes. That's in fact exactly what they did. Yeah. Thank you. We don't want to drink it. Right. Like they, not only could they not identify what women want to drink, they also can't identify women. <laughs> We're all just a bunch of people. Apparently. Cool. Yeah, one one woman, the other one, yeah, they all look the same to me. Whatever. Um, yeah, so that was a huge misstep. And it's a perp I brought that up because it's a perfect example of what Peggy No Stevens is talking about. Um, and just to give you a little tidbit um, more on bourbon women, um, so Bourbon Women now has uh, subchapters in seven cities, and that is growing very quickly. I think it might even be eight cities now. Um, and she said about uh, Bourbon Women, really, women have been a part of the industry for more than 200 years. We just didn't get credit for it. And today, things are changing for us. Fuck yeah, Peggy. Sing it, sister. Sing it. Um, so I was a member of the Bourbon Women Cincinnati chapter. And I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it because I'm always honest. Um, it was not a good chapter. Um, I was really disappointed. I heard about Bourbon Women on a podcast. Um, my dudes at Bourbon Pursuit interviewed her years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, Bourbon and Women Organization. That sounds fucking amazing. And what she's talking about sounded fucking phenomenal. And I thought, well, damn, I'm just in Cincinnati. We're right we're right across the river from Bourbon Country. Literally, we can walk across the river. That's how close we are. So certainly our chapter has to be the best other than any chapter in Kentucky, I'm thinking. It wasn't. Um, so I was really disappointed because what were your expectations of it versus what what happened so my expectations were based on what peggy talked about on that first podcast and when i went to read about it so they have so really she's focused on education of course and that's my Mm -hmm. jam i want to learn 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 until i can't learn anymore um So they have a lot of tasting and educational events and behind the scenes access to some of the most famous bourbon distilleries, of course, because of who she is. And you also get to do a lot of um, networking with influential members of, you know, the inside world of bourbon. And so for somebody like me that's in the industry, I felt that that was really important and something very useful for me. Um So I was really excited to have the educational aspect. I assumed we would have a lot of speakers come to us, a lot of female distillers, a lot of female tasters, a lot of female blenders. This is what I was assuming was going to happen. Even bring in, you know, uh, women from, from, you know, women, female brewers and vintners, um, female, you know, there are some famous, world famous female mixologists that are right in that area. Um, and that didn't happen. Uh, they had shopping trips and they would sit around and drink whiskey in a very uncoordinated way. And I offered to do, it was a big shame. I offered to do tastings for them several times. I was working for 
a very interesting craft distillery at the time. Um, the oldest in Ohio, um, using the second oldest, um, still operational double copper pot stills in the world, actually. That's pretty fucking cool, right? So I tried oh, to get. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a super cool place. It's on a historic farm. It has, um, the, uh, oldest, um, what am I, why am I forgetting the word of the grain mill? Grist mill. It has uh, the oldest grist mill in Ohio um, and one of the oldest in the country that's still intact. People come from all over the world yearly to tour, um, you know, that are like big into like milling history. I don't know. They like they I watched these people like walk up to this mill and you thought they saw Elvis. It was I had never seen anything like it. They were like so excited about this mill. Um, it's just a really cool place. And so I try, I said, oh, you know, so cool. Oh, so, um, he, yeah, it's just, and her story is super cool. She's sixth generation and her family and, you know, her and her husband retired and restarted this. It's just so cool. The story. Anyway. So let me, let me ask you this. Let, let's say somebody in another city wants to get a bourbon women society going. Is there a way to do that? How it's very difficult to do. Um, actually, they are very careful with how they control their chapters. Our friend, um, Bourbon Sailor is, uh, she started the chapter in DC. So she runs the DC chapter for the Bourbon Women Organization. Um, I, I do agree that it's important for them to be very, um, careful about their chapters and, they really don't like too many to open too quickly. I understand that, but I think, in my opinion, the one critique I have is that they need to allow chapters to expand just a little bit more rapidly. Um, Be more approachable. Yeah. 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 And I, I also feel, and again, this is coming from my experience in Cincinnati, so I could be wrong, but I kind of have a feeling that bourbon, the bourbon women organization is also for women that are probably a little bit older than myself and have a little bit more money than I do. Um, and a little bit more, you know, women in their fifties and sixties, I think is their target market who have a bit of, of money and, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that there are some other organizations out there that do a little bit better about making it accessible and just any woman can roll up super e- easy to open a chapter. Um, whiskey chicks is one of whiskey them. chicks is one of them. Who knows? You know what I mean? Again, I'm, I, I assume that your Louisville chapter is going to be the best in the world, of course, because you're right there. Um, but nonetheless, it's an amazing organization. She does an incredible job with it. That chapter yeah. is phenomenal. Um, uh, Kelly does a great job in DC. I don't know if you guys follow some of the tastings that they get to do and they do stuff at Jack Rose all the time. And, you know, she's in a great place to do it too. So of course, any large city is going to be a great place to host a Berman and women organization. So definitely check them out if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested and go to one of their events and see if you'd be interested in being a member. Anytime you have people gathering together to focus on whiskey is going to be a win-win situation. Yeah. I think. Um, you know, or just go drink with your friends. Go that too. taste with other people. Um, you know, trust your bartender. Uh, go, to, go to places where, like, if you don't know if you can trust your bartender, which I suggest usually you can, mm-hmm. uh, but if you go and see, like, that they've got some cool tools, um, and I don't mean, like, like just basically tools that are cheap. <laughs> I'm talking right. about, like, a, a spoon that they're going to stir with or, you know, tools that like they're not collecting dust um yeah if you can go to that bar and you see that they've got good stuff you could probably trust your bartender bring a couple girlfriends with you and taste through some things and i think that uh peggy would be very proud of you (laughs) you can can tell when when you're in a a place where you can trust your bartender because they will talk about about their product and the cocktails and drinks and everything that they're serving with this passion, just like just like Kayla, just like you, and just like Sailor and Carolyn, exactly how you guys do. You'll see it, and you'll you'll just be enamored and just watch them as they talk about their drinks. <laughs> Absolutely. So I agree with that. Trust your bartender for sure. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is, and by the way, there's one in Tennessee, Kayla. 
I don't know exactly where it is in Tennessee. Um, doesn't say. His 615 number. Yeah, I, I think that they don't have a, a base headquarters. I think it's like distributed. I, I don't know because I've researched it a, a couple times. But um, when I've tried to find like an actual location, I think the number is like a general number. I don't think there's like a a home base, they like meet up in different spots. Yeah, they do. But there's usually someone who, so April Weller Cantrell is the woman who um, leads the Tennessee chapter. I'm just saying, I don't know what city it's in. It's going to be Nashville or Franklin. I would think so. It would be Nashville. With the 615. I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's your neck of the woods. Yeah. Franklin's like 30 minutes out of Nashville. So um, 615 is definitely the Nashville Franklin area. So, yeah, so um, they do an annual symposium every year, August 23rd through the 25th, and that's in Louisville. And um, that symposium, Sipposium, Sipposium, sorry, Sipposium, um, is basically they invite everyone from all the chapters um, nationally to come to this Sipposium. And, um, it's every year they've had to find a new location because it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, they have all kinds, they have a a huge cocktail contest. Um, and you don't have to be there to do it. It's called the not your pink drink, I believe. And so they want you to, um, Oh gosh, I wish I could. I can't remember exactly how it goes because I, I haven't gotten an email in a while, but something like make it, like something that w- women would want to drink, but without all the typical shit we were just talking about, like yeah. pink and fruity and flowery and blah, 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 blah. Um, but, you know, have something interesting about it. So so that's cool. And I've read some of the recipes that are very, very uh, unique, very cool, very um, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so they've been doing the Not Your Pink Drink since 2012. Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah, it's super cool. So, um, so yeah, the she uh, Peggy No just um, held a bunch of really cool panels at the New Orleans Bourbon Festival that just happened. I think it was last weekend, and I watched a few casts of those. And she just has a lot of really super. She just has a lot to say. She is a Southern woman, though, and she is very. She has amazing. <laughs> she has amazing <laughs> etiquette and she teaches classes on etiquette as well. Yeah. Um, she is a master at food pairing. And the reason I bring up the fact that she's a Southern gal and um, she teaches classes on etiquette, it is very, um, to me, it is impossible to find her speak about what it was really like in the trenches that early on to uh-huh. be the only woman. Um, Mm she is very polite and very Mm -hmm. political (laughs) and when she speaks about it and that's fine. And that's, and I understand that's what, that's what she does. But, um, I can imagine she would have some incredible stories because those of us that are on the other side of the bar, um, in whiskey events now have stories of being mansplained too and, um, shit like that. Can I have your phone number? No, fuck you. I just, I'm literally here to teach you about bourbon. Go fuck off. Like, come on. Um, so I, I would really love to hear her speak more frankly though, um, about that. Yeah. She, um, she taught Julia Childs a little bit about bourbon. I think when Julia Childs was in her 80s, she had a little sit down with her. Yes, she did. It was like so fun. Can you imagine how funny that would? Oh, that would be. Oh my god! I, god these days we would have been able. She would have videotaped it. You know, that would have been. <laughs> First, you take the bourbon and you put it in with the rump roast, and then you drink a little bit extra, and then we put in just a little bit more in the rump roast. <laughs> God, you sound like you're on an acid trip. That's what she sounded like. <laughs> she totally sounds like that. Sounded like that. <laughs> I used to watch her when I was a kid. And my recollection of her is she always had a wine glass in her hand, which I know is not true. But she was definitely a fan of drinking. And she encouraged you, oh, take another sip. <laughs> I just watch her. 
I thought she was I so funny. I watched something on her that I can't remember, but I love hearing her talk about being so tall. Yes. <laughs> being not only a woman in the industry and having to like face against all, but being a very large, tall woman yes. in the industry. Oh my god, you oh, have to see like the movie. Yeah, you <laughs> should see the movie. Did you have you seen Julie? What is it called? Julie Julia? Julie Julia. I so. Oh, it's so good. So Meryl Streep played her and they actually right. made the set. Everything in the set was smaller so that she would look larger. They had to scale mm-hmm. all the sets and they purposely chose her husband to be much shorter than her. So you could understand how much taller she was than everybody. And a lot of times yeah, they lot. had her. She was. Google, she was six foot two. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> and she, but she was. I'm not she was large too, though she she had like linebacker shoulders. In addition to yeah. being tall, she was. She said her hands. What she said in an interview she was like, "Oh, I can I can pick up this turkey one handed," and it looked like a. She said it looked like a something like a baby chick in her hand or something like that. Yeah, because her hands were so that. big. Like she could sound and be so delicate. <laughs> And yet be like, watch me palm this chicken. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, all right. We're, we're on a tangent now. Let's reel it back in. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a quick pause, right, Carolyn, so that we can uh, compose ourselves? All right, friends. I'm going to play some music for your listening pleasure while we take a break. So that Sailor, as usual, does not pee her pants. I just want to talk about our new Patreon that we have. Do you guys all know what Patreon.com is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you um, listen to podcasts, you probably know what Patreon is. Um, so we have created a Patreon, uh, and it's under Metal Rock and Whiskey, of course, um, to help out with the costs of um, producing and creating these podcasts. Um, and as you may know, I am suffering some health issues right now and um, will be off my feet for quite some time. And I'm going to take this time to really devote uh, myself and all of my energy, whatever energy I'll have, <laughs> into mm-hmm. these podcasts and we are also putting together a book called Metal Rock and Whiskey, which is a compilation of all of the whiskey tastings, or most of them, I should say, that we did in 2018. So it is going to be volume one. So it will be a drinking companion, um, pairing the band or the artist with the whiskey. Um, that week. So we're really excited to bring you that. So we could really use your support so that we can do bigger and better things on this podcast. And we are also creating some new merchandise. We're going to have buttons and stickers and t-shirts and whiskey glasses and all kinds of fun things um, to uh, give to our listeners and our Patreons. For example, you can be a super cool fan for just a dollar a month. Um, you will be our favorite fan. You'll receive stickers directly from me with a big fat thank you and a shout out on the show. Um, you can also be a jukebox hero for five bucks a month and it goes all the way up from there. So we are super, super thankful to all of our Patreons that we have already. And we ask you please to go to patreon.com slash metal rock whiskey pod all one word. You can find the link on our show notes um, in the episode you're listening to right now. You can find it on our Instagram, in our Facebook group, and on our new Metal Rock and Whiskey Twitter feed as well. So, yeah. There you go. So, let's shut this shit down, shall we? Girls, where can stalkers and creepers find you? Carolyn? 
You can find me on Instagram at Thoughtaholic. Awesome. You can find me at Cadellis. That's K-A-D-E-L-L-I-S. What about you, Sailor? You can find me as Sailor Retro all over the freaking internet. Isn't that special? You can find me at Wonder Woman 24-7. And you can follow this podcast on all of the usual podcast platforms under Metal, Rock, and Whiskey. And find us on Instagram at Pretty Good for a Girl. And please hit the subscribe button because it would mean so very much to us. Okay, girls, get your air guitars ready. It is time to riff the fuck out of here. And I'll see you. Big, big thank you and shout out to Petty Morals for our amazing theme song. Bye. Bye.